1: Coming up on today's show, it's being called the Conservatives' Existential Identity Crisis. Again, the stampede circuit. Every politician with a link to Alberta shows up. They have to. Why? Why is it so important and so different? And the Rogers outage, an opportunity to take a look at how we do things in this country and some of our vulnerabilities. What can we change? Looking forward to this next conversation with uh, our guest. Um, Her conservative pedigree dates back to John Diefenbaker. She worked with him, uh, with Stanfield, Clark, Marooney, Stephen Harper, served as a senator for more than 20 years, much of that time as the conservative leader. In the upper chamber, uh, recently she has joined center right, uh, center ice conservatives. Sorry, the center ice conservatives—a group that we've talked to uh, on the air before—basically trying to uh, inject some moderate voices into what's going on with conservative politics right now. So we're going to chat with uh, former Senator Marjorie LeBreton and get her take on where we are. Um, Ms. LeBreton, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us today. Good morning, Shea. uh It's a really interesting time, but it's not a new time. Of course, as you know, this is sort of the, the issue that Conservatives have grappled with uh, in this province and in this country for a very, very long time. Sometimes it's in the forefront, sometimes it's simmering in the background. But um, does this one feel different to you in your vast experience within the party? Does this question about where the Conservative Party is going, uh, is it different this time around?
2: It is most. Definitely different. Uh, I have never seen the likes of what I'm witnessing now, and and uh, and as you know, the whole uh, the whole episode, the the whole thing just troubles me deeply because uh, goodness knows we've got an incompetent. Um, ethically challenged horrible government and we as conservatives uh, in ottawa here under the trudeau government and we as conservatives have a wonderful opportunity to present a moderate modern center center right position of uh, platform to the electorate who are looking for uh, looking for political choice
1: so, so so what's at stake you say you're very very concerned um should the party get this wrong in your eyes what is it that you fear
2: well, I, I actually, I actually fear that the whole country is shifting. Um, uh, there's a the part of the country is shifting to the woke, um, crazy uh, liberal um, NDP left, and then the, and then and then there's another element that are shifting far to the right and are driven by anger and grievance and uh, and um, and not really addressing uh, the serious issues facing Canadians. And um, because you can only uh, you can only say um, you know you can only stoke anger and and throw fuel in the fire for so long mm-hmm. and then people get over their anger and they start saying you know what I was really angry and I have reason to be angry and certainly they do with this government in Ottawa but uh, when they turn the page they're going to look for solutions and at the moment um, uh, a few, uh, you know we have a couple of candidates trying to offer solutions but uh, at the moment it's just it's just turned into the worst spectacle uh, that I, I like it's my worst nightmare at the beginning. I urged them all to um, make the pitch as to why they thought they should be the leader of the party, um, show the country who we are, what we stand for, and what we would do if we were to form a government, uh, but none of that has happened and it's just it's so. Uh, It's very discouraging because all of the people, and I happen to believe the majority of Canadians are in the moderate center, center, center-right, they're just standing back and watching this spectacle on both sides of the political spectrum and saying, who's speaking for me?
1: I think you're right. Um, I'm wondering how it's changed. As someone who's been in politics as long as you have, hasn't this always existed? We've always had fringes. We've always had extremes in both parties, as you say. Is it? Do you yeah. think it's more now, or is it just more vocal? I mean, how would you characterize it? well actually we 've
2: always had uh, and, and especially in the conservative party we 've always we've because we 're a much larger more diverse more regionally uh, um, based party we 've got representation in all of the country that we've always we've always had difficulty um, uh, getting a aytote um, to to the electorate because uh, because the debate sometimes is overtaken by one element or another so we've always had a, we've always had a problem being heard. But I mean we have been heard. We've been heard under Brian Mulrooney who was a very visionary, courageous uh, leader. We were heard under Stephen Harper, who uh, who is highly intelligent and very disciplined. And people like me, uh, that when after the after the parties merged were very, very comfortable in a Stephen Harper government because we we were listened to. Um, he was very pragmatic in his Approach to governing Canadians, and and he used to say, you know, you cannot lead Canadians. uh, You cannot lead Canadians if they refuse to be led. So, uh, so you have to always, you have to always. Kind of look for the issues that bind us together, and the ones that drive us apart are really only supported by by a very small element of the Canadian society, and and you know, and people can have their own views, but that isn't what should be um, should be uh, kind of at the center of uh, any major political party. And all through the years, going back to when I worked with Mr. Dave Baker, Clark, Mulroney, the whole way through, we always we were all, we always managed to do that. We always found common ground on issues that really mattered to Canadians, whether it was the economy, whether it was protecting our sovereignty, you know, pulling our weight internationally uh, and respecting the provinces. We were always able to do that. But right now, um, we are, like I am, like I, I'm just, I'm, I'm flabbergasted. I just, uh, you know, I, I do not see this ending well at all. And then, of course, with the um, with the disqualification of Patrick Brown. I mean, that, that you know, that they, they, the, the party greenlit Patrick Brown at the beginning. And I don't think uh, most people that are watching this, certainly it's not making them feel any more comfortable with the conservative brand. But, I mean, there's an element of fairness here and openness and transparency that I don't think the party has um, demonstrated.
1: Mr. LeBreton, when you say, and I agree with you, that I think most Canadians are, are centrist and, you know, slightly one way or the other, perhaps, but pretty yep. close to the middle. Um, uh, you talk about Conservatives, you think they feel the same way. Um, then yeah, explain so. to me why Pierre Polyev appears to be running away with this race. Because I think when you talk about what you're fearing in terms of overwrought rhetoric and anger movements, you're speaking of Pierre Polyev. Um, why is he running away with this race?
2: Well, he uh, you know he's the apparent front-runner but I always remind people it is a secret ballot and it and it actually is uh, it, it's decided by 100 points per riding so the amount of uh, number of memberships any one candidate has sold um, it, you know it's, it's that's important but it, if it's not spread equally across the country it may not have as much of an impact but I, I, I I honestly, I'm in Pierre's riding. I served on his board of directors. Like, I am, uh, you know, I supported him when he first ran in Carlton riding in 2004. And I am just, uh, like, I am flabbergasted. I am so disappointed because... Because he he seems to be, he seems to think that the path to victory is by, is by stoking anger and, um, and, 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 and it's anti-everything. It's anti, you know, fire the governor of the Bank of Canada, um, um, you know, invest in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Like, it's all things that most people, and as a senior citizen, I mean, that scares the bejesus out of me. But, uh, but having said all that, it's. This is, a, this is a very diverse country. We have changed significantly. And I'm saying to our party, we'd better change and, and, uh, and get with the program or we're going to be left out for a very long time.
1: Is that the ultimate, I mean, it's just unelectable on a national level? I mean, not even the uh, fact that uh, it's a possibility?
2: Well, you know, I, I actually, uh, anything is possible because people are so fed up mm-hmm. with the Trudeau government, rightfully so. Anything is possible. But we've got to think about the country, and we've got to think about the people that live in the country. And are we, are, like, does this serve anybody's purpose? calling people names and and uh, and and not and and getting into this kind of into the gutter instead of you know having a really good debate on what we should be talking about which is really why I'm kind of looking forward to being in Edmonton on the in August because uh, Santa Rice conservatives is sponsoring a conference, uh, uh, which we're we're calling it a Let's Grow Canada Policy Conference, and it's and we're inviting anyone um, who who believes that there's um, there's a place in politics, God knows that's where most of us live, for center center right um, positions. Um, that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to foster debate and move the candidates. Um, to a position that is electable, and at the moment, the way we're going, as far as I can determine, at least from my view, um, and I hope, I hope we're not. I hope I'm. Uh, I hope I'm. Uh, I'm right. I hope that's the way Canadians feel. I hate to think that we're going down the road like they're going in the United States. Mm-hmm. That is just. Yeah. That just. That just.
1: That's appalling. I, I, I couldn't agree imagine. With yeah, I that's, can't imagine. that's the biggest risk for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Ms. LeBreton, thank you so much for your time. Great conversation. I really you're, appreciate you your joining us. You're
2: very welcome, and um,
1: looking forward to being in Edmonton in a month or so. You bet. We'll chat then. Thank you. Okay, thanks. So we're getting a new... Why well, I, I don't want to call it a holiday because it's not... It's not a holiday, but uh, you probably heard by now the premier at his stampede breakfast this morning announced that uh, September 1st will now be known as Alberta Day. September 1st, 1905, the Alberta Act came into effect, formally establishing the province of Alberta, recognizing this date in perpetuity as Alberta Day gives Albertans an opportunity every year to come together in a spirit of celebration and express their pride in all things That are uniquely Albertan. You can do that after work, though, because it's not a stat holiday. So Alberta Day was proclaimed. Apparently, this was part of the Fair Deal panel, according to the government website. A recommendation in there said, explore ways and means to affirm Alberta's cultural, economic, and political uniqueness. So September 1st, now Alberta Day. Okay, all right. I don't know I don't know what what it means. I don't know what how it changes things, but we now have Alberta Day September 1st. As I said, the announcement made this morning at Premier uh, Jason Kenney's Stampede Breakfast. He is the latest to get in on this uh everybody does. If everybody does. If you are a politician with any link no matter how tenuous to the province of Alberta, this is sort of must see TV. You must host or at least attend a stampede breakfast. You've seen Jason Kenney and Rachel Notley. You've seen uh, the prime minister was here. Every single one of the potential leadership candidates in the federal conservative race, you've got to go to the stampede. That's just the way that it is. Why? (laughs) How has it become something that's just sort of absolutely mandatory. We're going to chat now with Dr. Lisa Young. We've had her on the show many times, a political science professor at University of Calgary. Uh, Dr. Young, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time. My pleasure. It really is sort of obligatory, right? If you're a politician with some kind of link to the province of Alberta, you got to go to the stampede.
3: Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, the da- it, it's such a necessity that the danger here is that if you don't show up, that's newsworthy.
1: Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's. Uh, why wouldn't you come? Why don't you now? What What is the hope if you're a politician going or hosting or attending one of these events? What are you hoping for? What's the 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 upside that you're anticipating?
3: You know, I think it depends a little bit uh, on on the politicians. Uh, status in the province, what it is that they're doing. You know, I think for Alberta politicians, among other things, it's an important fundraising uh, time. So there are events where, you know, there might be a paid entrance, or you get a chance to uh, connect with people who might be donors, you know, whether it's at an event or something that's a little bit more behind the scenes. But you know that lots of people will be there, lots of influential people will be there because they're, you know, because because of of what Stampede has uh, evolved into. And and so it's an opportunity to raise money. It's an opportunity to be seen in the community, to connect with people, you know, get lots of selfies taken. So, you know, people see that you are a politician who's out and about and with the people.
1: And it's also an opportunity to sort of get out amongst the people in what I think is a pretty laid back and positive environment right i mean you've got the dress up aspect to it which sort of changes the dynamic right there plus the fact that it's 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 a party really isn't it sort of a different environment
3: absolutely you know it, it's it, while there might be fundraising going on there's still that party atmosphere yeah. everyone is relaxed and and you know probably feeling pretty positive um, everyone's wearing clothes that they don't normally wear so it it's you know, I think it really is potentially quite a positive event, and it lets you, I think, be seen doing things that you wouldn't normally be seen doing. You know, I'm thinking here of the prime minister who dropped by on the weekend, and you know, saw lots of pictures of him with the University of Calgary uh, vet med people, and you know, there he is with cattle and and with people who are working with cattle. That's not our normal image of the Prime Minister. So for him, that was a great photo opportunity.
1: Now, there was, uh, I don't know if you saw yesterday on Twitter, and I realized that Twitter is not uh, a representation of the real world, but Staged was trending all day yesterday because a lot of people in Alberta could not believe for a moment that Justin Trudeau would actually be greeted by supporters when he attended the Stampede. I mean... I imagine when you go to an event like that people are invited and you they're they're, they're you know when he goes to George Shahal's event I'm talking about those are yeah, yeah. those are going to be George Shahal supporters right
3: Sure and you know I think certainly you know for liberals in the province it the word would have gone out yeah. right the prime minister is coming this is going to be your chance to go and show your support and uh, you know it's important for the party and and particularly for George Saul you know as the the Calgary uh Liberal MP to demonstrate that, you know, there are you can turn supporters. out a crowd. <laughs> yeah, you can absolutely turn out a crowd, that there are people who are enthusiastic about uh, Justin Trudeau here in, in Calgary.
1: Does this translate anywhere else? I know it doesn't happen for K-Days. We do not have uh, a pilgrimage to K-Days by Canadian political leaders. Does it happen anywhere else, or is the Stampede unique in that way?
3: You know, I, I, I think it really is unique. I, I think maybe the the closest that we could think maybe would be pride parades in some of the major cities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we've certainly seen politicians, you know, flying to Vancouver to be seen in the pride parade there. So that, but but that isn't necessarily as large an event across the community uh, as Stampede is. But really, I think Stampede is unlike anything, you know, setting aside the politicians. um, Stampede is really unlike anything else that happens in the country, just in the way that it completely takes over the city, that there are so many different dimensions to what's going on here. And I think as well that, you know, what we saw this, this past weekend really speaks to the extent to which Calgary is the spiritual home of the Canadian conservative movement. Yes, yeah. And so that draws all kinds of of uh, politicians as well.
1: Yeah, almost a clearinghouse of sorts. Uh, Dr. Young, thank you so much for your input, as always. Appreciate it. Getting back into this Rogers discussion, just listening in the news, how some businesses now talking about the impact that they felt, because it wasn't just... Internet or cell service that went down, as you know, Interact was down too, and that caused all kinds of chaos for people and businesses and nine one one services and I mean, you name it. It it shows, if nothing else, that we have become completely and utterly dependent on the internet in one way or another for so many of the things that we do every day. And a lot of people are saying this should serve as a wake up call. A wake up call to what? What do we do? Uh, we're going to chat now with Vass Bednar, who is the executive director of McMaster University's Master of Public Policy and Digital Society program. Uh, Vass, thanks so much for your time. appreciate you joining us. Thanks for having me. You know, when we take a look at this, and everybody's talking about a wake-up call, this should be a wake-up call for Canadians. Waking us up to what? I mean, what's the biggest takeaway from you in terms of what we learned on Friday as to, okay, maybe we should be paying attention to this?
0: Well, the biggest takeaway for me that we learned on Friday was that the internet and cellular services are do more than just connect you to friends and family and work, right? As you said, it's the digital infrastructure that underpins our entire economy with e-commerce and processing money and also emergency services, Mm -hmm. you know, helping people access 911. So I think that was very kind of sobering and illuminating for so many Canadians that might not have fully appreciated that. And that's why we're, uh, have this awesome opportunity as a country to to think hard about where and how we could improve.
1: Yeah, I think we came to realize just how many things are interconnected and how many of the things we just take for granted every day need this basic system to be functioning in order to happen. Um, what have we overlooked? What, what, what happened on Friday where so many people couldn't do what they typically do, so many institutions and businesses and all the rest? What have we overlooked? Why did we get into a situation where one company can have this problem and so much of the country suffers? Well,
0: basically that one company, and it could have been any of the large telecommunication companies that serve Canada, uh, experienced what seems to be an engineering deficit, right? We're learning a little bit more about that. But that engineering failure or problem really stands to illuminate the competition structures in Canada. And that's why a lot of people are chatting, at least online, where I spend a lot of my time, where I connect with people, chatting about okay, how did we get here, how does the system work, and how can it be improved? And I think that's okay. Uh, Rogers might have an engineering solution, and public policymakers might have a complementary policy solution or suite of policy solutions going forward that improve the system overall.
1: Like what? That's the question. I mean, and I know we're having the meeting today with the minister calling the CEO of Rogers up to Parliament Hill to have a discussion virtually, I believe. Um, What kind of policies can be put in to sort of make sure something like this isn't as catastrophic?
3: Uh, Well, the
0: federal government does have a new proposed policy approach for the CRTC on telecom that people can respond to. Um, so it's not like it's a totally new issue. I sort of, the imagery of a volcano comes to mind for Canadian telecom, kind of dormant most of the time, but yeah. always was kind of bubbling and maybe we had a bit of an <laughs> eruption on Friday, which does go, you know, it's an emergency. It is an emergency to be cut off from emergency services. So let's start there on policy solutions. I think Canada can reflect forward to, you know, internet, international peers that we have a modern and contemporary protocol for 911 emergency services and that is going to necessitate cooperation across private companies and also across orders of government it might mean that we use the emergency alert service to let people who do have service know what's happening so that they can spread the word it might mean emails. right for me my phone was bricked, but my email worked because it was with bell as a bell customer i would have happily received an email that said hey we're learning more about this outage not everyone around you may be able to connect to 911. So here are the alternatives. Here's what to do if you need something or that your phone can somehow access 911 or there's like a portable SIM card situation. I'm not an engineer. I'm not the yeah, smartest no.
3: person on this, but
0: reimagining that and just recalibrating, I think is going to be super important. We, an outage can happen again, and it probably will, right? These are complex, sure. large systems. But next time it does happen, we need to be ready from an emergency perspective and i don't want to hear any more of these kind of heartbreaking stories of people that had to access 911 and couldn't
1: yeah i mean there was a there was a text that came out and i can't remember if it was edmonton city police or calgary or some other agency that said if you need to speak with police uh use a landline or go to the station and i'm like what I mean, that, that's where we are when, when this one network goes down. So obviously we recognize that maybe, do we get to a point here, Vass, where, okay, we don't want to leave this in the hands of um, private companies. There needs to be some sort of state-run bedrock of we're going to have 911, we're going to have interact. I don't know how they can do it any differently, but do we need to have more government involvement in this?
0: We probably do need to have a little bit more government involvement in this. Uh, however, that could be, again, government cooperating with these companies. You know, we see that there are public uh, public competitors in something like yeah. Saskatchewan with Fastel or certain municipalities are starting to experiment with connecting up their fiber networks so that they can have the physical infrastructure that then private ISPs, internet service providers, compete on. Those are all kind of neat, novel things happening around the edges, but that it's a way that the system continues to iterate and evolve. So I think that's promising. In terms of, you know, magic wand, uh, one-shot policy solutions, I-, I wish I had one of those for you, yeah. but I think it's all about um, just not shying away from this as Canadians and continuing to, you know, reimagine what we need. I think the biggest thing, and you're letting me ramble, so thank you, is that... The internet feels like an essential service now, but we still define it as a basic service. How is it basic if you need it to process <laughs> yeah. uh, transactions? I mean, what's more essential? Send money or contact 911. Yeah. That's a little more than basic
1: to me. Yeah, I, I agree with you 110%. Um, one last one here. It was right from the instant this came to light, everybody started talking about competition. We need more competition. This happens because we have no competition. What is the state of competition, and why is it limited? I mean, are there, is there a reason we don't have more competition? What's the problem here around competition in Canada for cellular service?
0: yeah there are some good reasons for for why we don't have as much as we could. i mean we're a, we're a big, big country, and private operators have invested significant capital to build those wires and tubes, the mm-hmm. facilities on which uh, we compete on services, you know wireless uh, cellular services. And we have a pretty unique situation where uh, people can own and operate that infrastructure it's almost like the complaints you see in the broader digital economy around like uh, gatekeeping or self-preferencing right in a marketplace where people are like wow it's really different when you own and operate uh, uh, the same the same space uh, places like Australia have public uh, public infrastructure that then private companies compete on to to have their services so that's maybe the most revolutionary kind of blow it up <laughs> policy idea that lurks around in Canada, which is also uh, nationalizing the, the physical infrastructure. Um, but because of that ability, if, if, you, if you'll let me round out and thank you for that, because of the ability to own and operate those, there are some competitors are starting to say, well, that actually gives these dominant companies too much information about the system because they then know what households are contracting with their competitors and a couple of years ago might have been last year my concept of time is a little off uh tech savvy brought a case forward on this and said look we we have evidence that certain companies know because we have to rent the space we have to rent the space on the system they know where our customers are and they then target those customers they undercut us on price temporarily to to win away our customers and it's just not fair it's not an appropriate way to compete so Yeah, there's some history in terms of how we got to where we are, but there's also some dynamics um, that could potentially evolve in the future.
1: Yeah, there are ways we can take a look at. Uh, Vas, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate you joining us. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. If you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.